On today's show, we talk with Rob Arthurs, president of Robert Arthurs International, an international matchmaking firm that specializes in matching international inquiries in the agricultural space to North American companies and helps North American companies penetrate foreign marketplaces like China with their products. Rob focuses his efforts on what he calls agri-food, and we discuss the struggles involved in this commerce niche, as well as the buying cycle in China, and why brands should look to enter China through one of the country's 18 free trade zones. Rob, what is your favorite Chinese brand and why? You know, uh, Todd, I think the, the brand I like the most is WeChat, which is owned by Tencent. And I find that communication tool probably one of the most robust uh, programs out there. In fact, uh, even though I'm not in China, I use it on a daily basis to communicate with a lot of my, even my Caucasian friends who have nothing to do with China. We use it as a great, as it's such a great, robust tool, far better than anything that's out there. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be a fun show, but before we dive into the deep stuff, please tell our listeners a little bit about how you ended up in China. Uh, In 2000, I was invited by the Northeast China government uh, because at that time I was in a clothing business. And I was invited with 70 other Canadian businesses to visit Northeast China, Harbin, Yinkao, Daxing, uh, Dalian, Xinyang. And for two weeks, we were on a trade mission traveling around Northeast China, visiting factories. And uh, they wanted, at the end of the day, their whole mission was for these Canadian companies to open up factories or joint ventures with Chinese companies in that area. And then... What led you to come back and actually build your own business there? You know, uh, Todd, it, it was a few number a number of years later when I got out of that clothing business. I came back to China uh, in the food space uh, through with the British Columbia government. Um, there was a gap of about eight years before I went back again, and uh, I came back as a consultant to the British Columbia government here in Canada. And I led a mission to a food show at the Food Hotel China Show in Shanghai. And uh, that's when we, and that was uh, the first of a many forays back into China. It ended up going to the Dalian Seafood Show, the Qingdao Seafood Show, the Guangzhou Seafood Show, and then other shows, four or five shows a year for the next uh, 11 years, uh, back and forth into that place and to the point where I ended up uh, marrying a Chinese wife from Xi'an, China. And now we go back and we are doing a vitamin business there and uh, a couple other taking other companies into that marketplace for their for their exploratory. And you're you're heavily involved in the agricultural space in general. Is that correct? Correct. I'm, I define it as agri-food and agri-food in my definition of agri-food is 
anything you eat, drink, swallow, put on your skin or smell. So that's beer, wine, water, snacks, livestock, seafood, uh, skincare, aromatherapies, essential oils, those sort of things. Okay. And so tell us a little bit about the business on that side of things that you do now. So right now I'm, I'm entered the Chinese space with a supplement company. So what we've, uh, we've decided to go back to the marketplace and focusing on challenges uh, in the region. So for instance, not all China, but most of China has, there's about uh, 700 million people in China have got eye problems. They wear eyeglasses. So we've developed a, a antioxidant with, uh, a, with a couple doctors here in Vancouver and a pharmacist who have got a formula that they've been using uh, using natural products that they've had great successes in trading North American uh, clients with. And we've taken it back into China in hoping to treat uh, what we call uh, blue screen eye problem. And that's mm. from kids and adults to play maybe playing too much games on their phones and their computers. And uh, that's one of the products we've entered the marketplace as well as uh, China, of all the places in the world, the women are the most iron deficient in the world. And so if you have, if you're pregnant, uh, your chances are your baby will be born iron deficient and postnatal, the breast milk will be iron deficient. And so we have a, 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 a formula that we've been using very successfully with natural pass for the last 15 years that are very, very high iron potency. So we've taken that into the marketplace as well as another uh, uh, formula for inflammation, which gets right to the gut where all the problems of health start in your gut and it goes to your brain and all your other organs. And so we have an inflammation uh, remedy that we're using uh, in China. So those are three products of about five that we're gonna launch over the next year. Uh, Those first three are in the marketplace now. So given the industries that you're in, to me, that strikes me as highly regulated. So talk to me about what the regulatory environment is uh, for those kinds of products and how you've been able to be successful. Those kind of products, uh, Todd, are very highly regulated, especially if yeah. you're going to if you're going to go to bricks and mortar, then you have to get a rigorous testing done and registration done, which could be uh, anywhere from one year to three years. And it could be enormous amount of money, anywhere up to fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per product to get registered into that country. So the easiest way we found is to go cross border, which is e-commerce, and bypass those regulations. Uh, although, again, as I said, our products are all natural. There is nothing pharmaceutical about our products. They're berries. They're uh, all curcumins. They're natural products. So there is nothing pharmaceutical in our products, but. If there were, then we'd be having to be going through some rigorous registration, even if uh, we were going cross border. So you've got to know what, how you're going to enter your, your, that's part of our strategy was to go in through e-commerce and uh, you know, that's still, that's still not without its challenges. There's a, there's a few challenges going through there and uh, you just have to have some smart people on the other side that can help you through. And fortunately for us in Vancouver, we've got a great organization called CCIC. Uh, that's a Chinese Canadian uh, inspection uh, conglomerate that that's part of the Chinese government that will help Canadian companies or North American companies enter that marketplace and they will sort of hold their hand. So you mentioned that a lot of your products are natural and organic, so you don't have a lot of these kind of FDA type of issues with the regulatory stuff. But you did say that there are a lot of other struggles that you still have to deal with 
as far as doing e-commerce in China. Tell us a little bit more about what those are. Well, some of those struggles are, you know, it's credibility. We're, we're coming, our product is called doctor approved natural products. So it's been a, uh, formulated by a natural path uh, and, uh, and a pharmacist here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're formulated products. So part of that is when you come to using a doctor, because we're, we're trying, we're, that's our disruptor. We're trying to be a differentiator from everybody else selling vitamins in China. Everybody's coming out and it's maybe a young person selling vitamins and I don't you know do want to discount that that's and there's any problem with that right. but we're trying to come out as as these are doctor endorsed products in North America that have been tried tested and true they've been used on patients in naturopathic clinics and in pharmacies for for a dozen years but you know it's trying to educate on the China side that we're not fraud like these are legitimate things uh, how do you prove that stuff well you know what it's at the end of the day it's doing videos, doing good marketing materials, backing it up with testimonials, backing it up with, uh, you know, maybe lab tests or clinical trials. Those sort of things are things we're always being, uh, you know, I shouldn't say we're always being asked for, Todd. We're trying to stay one step ahead of being asked for by offering it up. So we're showing them testimonials, uh, clinical trials, those sort of things before we get asked that, before we get asked. So we want to make sure that we are really when Alibaba or JD.com come knocking on the door uh, that we're really ready and we've got the, we've got the stuff to back up why we're called doctor approved natural products. How does the buying cycle work in China? You know that's very very interesting and we in North America don't 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 understand it completely. I mean it's uh, it's it you know it could be related to the stars it could be related to the moon <laughs> it could be related to the calendar but I mean you take it for example the uh, singles day well I I don't know how many billion dollars Alibaba sold last year or Tmall but I I think it was north of 30 billion US dollars in one single day I know that when I was at one of the e-commerce companies in Shanghai they had sold a million liters of New Zealand milk in 24 hours a million liters so you look at that stuff and, and buying uh in china is not is is uh is a social experience it's not just something here where we're on amazon looking for impulse buying or what drums at us so or we may say oh we want to get this we saw that in a certain shop so now we'll go try to buy it online for cheaper um but we're here a little more impulse they're a lot more uh that is a more of a social uh thing for them they buy well, the you know look at Chinese New Year. So Chinese New Year, um, I've got a I got a client trying to ask me for ten containers of pig's feet, and wow. that if you have no idea how many can pick. So I'll give you an example: ten containers of pig feet. One container of pig feet means thirty thousand pigs have to be slaughtered for those feet. And so if you're looking at ten containers, that's three hundred thousand pigs that need to be slaughtered just to fulfill one company's order. For Chinese New Year's that now that presents a problem for the slaughterhouses in Canada or USA or Mexico saying what are we supposed to do with all the other parts of the 30,000 pigs you know unless you can find me a buyer for the pork's feet or for the pig's belly that sort of thing but it this buying cycle in China is a, an anomaly like I don't see of any other country and I've been in the buying field even with my clothing company uh, I was immersed into the Chinese cultures and, and the buying it's just it's fascinating to watch on just it could be numerology it's there's just a whole bunch of different things about it and they make a festival out of the buying cycles 
Sure. Singles Day was over 30 point. It was, I think, reported last year, 30.8 billion, which smashed 2017, which was somewhere in the 24, 25 billion, if I remember correctly. That's staggering, Todd. You know, we we don't even sell that in all of December in North America for Christmas. Where do brands go when they want to enter China? You know, they traditionally will go to the Shanghai's, maybe the Guangzhou's, um, you know, Hong Kong, of course. But, you know, we're finding now that the second tier cities um, are the ones that are now demanding the attention. For instance, Mm. my wife's city is Xi'an, which is about 10 and a half million people, is up and coming. Uh, They've built so much e-commerce. It's part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, and so there's a lot of activity within those second tier cities. And uh, anywhere they right now, Todd, what I would recommend is North American companies and looking to penetrate that or foreign companies looking to penetrate into China should be looking at where the free trade zone are, are in China. There's a number of new ones. Xinjiang has got one. Xi'an has got one. There's, of course, there's several around the Shanghai area, but not everybody can go after the Shanghai market. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty saturated. Yeah. Guangzhou is pretty saturated. Yeah. And that's why I like some of the smaller centers like Xi'an, even though Xi'an may be small, but the surrounding area is 30 million. I mean, Shanxi province is 30 million. That's, as big, that's, you know, that's almost the size of Canada. Yeah. Chase one of those markets, and uh, that's, where, that's where I would be focusing on in, for my brand is chase a smaller market and, and pour your resources in there and become an expert. And then eventually people will see your product in from there and they'll be picking it up in Shanghai. But to, but try to, to go into one of the most expensive markets like Shanghai, I think is for a brand is uh, now uh, it would be a mistake. Can you tell us a little bit about the free trade zones that you mentioned in China? Where are they? How many, if you know, how do they work? What are the advantages there? Well, the free trade zones are, you know, a little different, some of them, but we at North America understand free trade zones. And sometimes it gets a bit confusing for somebody like me from North America. I I get a different answer sometimes from different people, but I believe there's at least 19 free trade zones in China, okay. if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they, how they work is your product comes in into the free trade zone, duty and tax-free and sits there in whatever it may be, for lack of a better word, storage, it is taxed when it's left that free trade zone. So you're not coming in and saying, hey, look at me, I'm coming coming in with no taxes, no nothing. It will be, if it's being sold by say an Alibaba entity as one by one, that taxes and duties will be added to that product when it is sold. Now there's, you can get some different answers from other people uh, who really don't understand the free trade zones uh, as they should be. And we'll say, oh, no, it's coming in duty-free or at least less than duty-free or it's an Alibaba free trade zone. So it comes in at a, a preferential treatment. And, you know, in, in some cases that's true. But there is not uh, – there. I find there's a bit of confusion over the actual tariffs on different trade zones. So going in – and I'll give you an example of, you know, some of the challenges that in some of the free trade zones, I've got people that are shipping – will ship in oysters to the free trade zone in, in Shanghai – but they'll be taxed at a different rate that they will be should that oyster arrived in the port of Dalian into the free trade zone there. So it, it, there's some, there's some different anomalies that are not consistent all across the board. And I find that's the same thing with customs. And sometimes we've had 
uh, the same company shipping the same oyster, Fanny Bay oyster to Dalian with no problem, but that when that plane ran, arrives uh, with the same type, type of oysters in Shanghai, they're, they're, they're held in quarantine. So there's some different anomalies and inconsistencies in free trade and customs in that part for my, and from what I've seen in China. Given your experience with dealing with the free trade zones, do you have any good advice for those that are looking to have to, you know, go that route? You know, uh, I would be looking at, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And some of the people you will be work, dealing with in those free trade zones may not know what you, they think they know. Right. Um, because it varies from region to region. And like uh, seven of these free trade zones just opened up in the last two years. So they're right. new. They've got new staff that don't really understand all the protocols. Mm-hmm. But in most of those areas, whether you're an American or a Canadian business or an international business, wherever you may be, uh, chances are you're going to have a Canadian, uh, a consulate of some sort in that area that can also help help you and handhold you. I know the American and Canadian consulates in those in those provinces where those free trade zones are part of their responsibility to the our, the foreign businesses is to help them walk through those protocols and and get a better understanding of what those free trade zones are. Because as I said, a lot of these people are brand new, and so don't expect an answer that you get in Shanghai. Shanghai to be the same answer you're going to get in Xinjiang. You've had a lot of experience, uh, e-commerce, the Alibabas, the Tmalls, the Taobaos, the things like that. What are foreign consumers buying from China? You know, it, it's it's fascinating because I belong to uh, an Amazon group here in Vancouver, and I've been in Amazon training for the last 11 weeks, and I still got another three weeks to go. So I'm involved with a, a bunch of us uh, on Amazon training. And the phenomena, Todd, of Amazon, not known, not only North America, but Europe-wise, is tapping China like crazy. Alibaba has got to be over the moon in the products they must be selling. I'll give you an example. If uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Moscow mule drinker. I'm a new one. And a friend of mine said, you know, said go, said, go and have a look at your Moscow mule. So I said, I go into Alibaba and I look at, oh, there's a beautiful copper mug. There's some that are smooth and there's some really nice ones that are hammered, mm-hmm. hammered around and very decorative. Mm-hmm. And they're $1.50 a piece. Well, you take that same copper mug and go over to Amazon and have a look what they're selling them. $49 US in a box. So all they've done is taken those, those, those beautiful mugs, put them into a decorative box with some nice labels on them, and now we're selling them on Amazon. And that is on day in and day out. And that was just one of our examples that we got. Silicone bottles was another one about how these collapsible silicone bottles are selling by the tens of thousands on Alibaba. And, so, and this is all Alibaba or AliExpress products that are coming from China. It's um, fascinating to see what's happening with Amazon and, and the consumer and how fast Amazon prime has gone crazy globally. And it's, you know, they're trying, let's face it. We got two behemoths in this field. We've got Alibaba on one side and we got uh, Amazon on the other, both that are in the e-commerce space. And now both are entered into the food space. And it, it's, it's amazing to watch both of these companies operate and, and, and almost collaborate. Almost collaborate, elaborate. What does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, you look at you look at. Uh, I guess it would be an an, uh, an unknown collaboration that they were. They're yeah, I don't expect them to be partnering anytime soon. No, I don't see. But I I, I love seeing what Alibaba is doing in 
in North America and how they're dabbling around in New York City and looking at Seattle as well. And that's sort of where Amazon's going. And now you got Amazon Go stores. And then, of course, now you got Herma stores from uh, Alibaba. And they're both in the grocery space. They're both in the e-commerce space. Uh, competing with each other and you know taking from I think I, I think the beautiful thing is is to watch them rip off each other so to speak without saying that but yeah I mean, yeah you know that one does this the next week the other one's doing that and it's it's it I think it what it is at the end of the day Todd the consumer wins because they're pushing each other absolutely I love it what are the key missteps that some brands might want to avoid you know, uh, I think uh, not knowing your audience. I mean, not knowing, you know, a lot of people go in there, uh, Todd, they don't listen, uh, especially if you're a North American business. You're not listening to what they're telling you. Uh, we're not as patient. The Chinese do things at a slower pace than we do. Uh, and a lot of a lot of times, uh, you know, we'll say, oh, look at this big order we've got. And next thing you know, it, it falls apart. Next thing you know, they're painting everybody all, all of China with the same brush. And I think it, those are missteps and mistakes that we make. And that's not knowing by the, not doing your homework on who your partner is. And I think the other, the other thing I could add is North American companies don't make enough trips to China to understand mm. the marketplace. You need to be on the ground in those trade shows, even if you're walking, just to walk and see what's going on, to see how they do businesses, to drop, to understand the cultural difference of how the Chinese do business, even in a trade show booth to a North American and what's what uh, different expectations. It's a whole different big game. Even I see uh, at the supply show this weekend in Las Vegas, a friend of mine's there with a bunch of Chinese companies, but he's from Vancouver and you know, it's it just, it's just, it's, it's so different on how they do business. And, and I think that's the mistake that Canadian or North American businesses make that we just don't do enough homework on who our competitor is or who we're buying from. Or who are we trying to sell to? You've had a lot of experience dealing with uh, Chinese distributors. So speak to a little bit about what the common deals that distributors try to make are uh, and what the foreign counterparts in those deals should be aware of and be mindful of. Well, I think the biggest thing, lesson, Todd, that I've learned over the last number of years is the Chinese will try to lock you up for all of China. Right. Not just the region. So Exclusivity. Yes, exactly right. They want exclusively for China. And because of our ignorance and not understanding the marketplace, we'll give that to them. And you'll lock, they'll lock you up for four or five years. And, and all they've done is take you out of the marketplace where every region of China, and if you wanted to do it, I would be doing it by state or by provinces. Shenzhen, as I said, is 30 million people. Uh, Liang province is 40 million people. Those are countries. They should be treated, yes, they are. treated as countries and not... China, the 1.3 billion people treated as one country, you got to break that up. And because the guy that's efficient in Shanghai is certainly not going to be, I would guess, not as efficient in Harbin. So there are two different animals. And uh, I would be looking at several distributors in different markets and, and looking at their specialty. For instance, uh, Xinjiang area, that's, that's the northeast China. They probably service in that area. They, you know, there's 300 million people in there right into Mongolia. And that's that's that in itself is like in my in my idea is probably four countries, but mm -hmm. a lot of people think, oh, that's Northeast China. It's not as rich as South. Well, I got news for you, that's the oil area of China too. And there's a lot of money up there, and there's a lot of disposable cash up there. So they're spending, but a lot of brands avoid those areas 
where the people of Harbin, they've got money. You know, when I go to Sanya and Hainan, they're there. They're the ones spending the money. It's the people that come from the north that have that afforded that have bought a house in Hainan on the beach. So we can't ignore those areas. And so when you're looking at distributors, look for a distributor in different areas of China, not one that just says I can do all of China, because that is just a fatal mistake. And you'll get you'll find that that guy will lock you. Know, that person will lock you up for years and years and years. And then you'll go back and say, oh, China was a dog. It was a ripoff where it's not. It's just because you didn't do your homework. Rob, this has been amazing. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to get in touch with you. How can people reach you or find you or follow you? I think the best way to get a hold of me, Todd, would be through my website, which is robertarthurs.com, www.robertarthurs.com. From there, you can click on my Instagram, my Facebook, and follow me from there and get in touch with me through all my social media. Uh, And that's probably the best way to get me. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, last question, buddy. What is your best piece of advice for companies looking to do business in China? The best piece of advice for me to give you, it would be to do your homework. Go and visit a trade show. Go to the marketplace. Understand the people. You know, you may think you know Chinese who, who live here in North America or other parts of the world. It's a different it's a different animal when you're in that marketplace. It's a different culture. Things are different. Some areas is a bit chaotic and other areas, uh, you know, are very, very uh, fast forward and very forward thinking. They're very well dressed They're You know, so there's people just have misconceptions. And, and so, Todd, I think the best thing anybody should do is go on a vacation, go see something of China and, and go to it, make some time to go to a trade show that's relevant for your sector and check it out for yourself. Walk the show and see just your, the opportunity will be immense because the, every trade show, the floor trade show floors are packed. There's just that many people looking for purchase and make sure you make yourself aware that you are a foreign owner country. If you're from Canada or USA, make sure you're, you're, your products have got your flag on it to distinguish you from Chinese products. And don't be afraid, you know, just, but do do your homework. Rob, this has been excellent. Tons of great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Todd. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at wpic.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.